This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. This episode is brought to you by Panama City, Florida. And like you, Molly, and you, the listener, I've been dreaming of a beach vacation. (laughs) Who hasn't? And I'm thinking about the sugar white sands and turquoise waters of Panama City Beach, Florida. Have you been thinking about endless family fun, heart-pounding thrills, eco-adventure, and romance? Every day of my life. So make it (laughs) memorable. Make it yours at Panama City Beach, the real fun beach. Escape today at visitpanamacitybeach.com. I'm Matthew. I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today's episode is sauerkraut. No, today's episode is about diss tracks. There is nothing uh, that that goes better with Drake than sauerkraut. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you think Drake eats a lot of sauerkraut? I mean, it mm-hmm. is considered like health food in some circles these days. He seems like is, a healthy is, guy. Is Drake up in up in in the health foods? Is he in his health foods? He's... Is he in in his fermentation? <laughs> In his fermentings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, do you mm-hmm. have a sauerkraut memory lane? Oh my gosh, do I ever? Hold on. Awesome. I don't. So, <laughs> so I'll start because you're chewing. Sauerkraut for me was uh, one of these things that I thought was a scary grown-up food when I was a kid. You know, it kind of smelled weird, and it was like pickled cabbage. It's also like, remember how we've talked about... It still is pickled cabbage, in fact. Do you remember how we've talked about things that our fathers were into that seemed like these markers of, like, the old world? Exactly. Yeah, like, sauerkraut was my dad's food. It was that kind of vibe. Yeah, me too. Although I'm sure I'm sure my mom likes sauerkraut like on a hot dog too. My mom loves sauerkraut. In fact, my first memory of sauerkraut is that um particularly when I was younger and um and my mother's parents were still alive and, and so we would often have these big family Thanksgivings with my maternal grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff. Sure. Sauerkraut often showed up on it. Just showed up at the door on Thanksgiving. It was super weird. <laughs> oh, well, they, there'd be a knock at the door, and everybody'd be like, "There's sauerkraut again." No, yeah. you know what it is. The uh, the milk delivery person would stop <laughs> delivering milk for Thanksgiving and just start delivering <laughs> big jugs of kraut juice, which is a real thing. Hold on. Okay. Anyway, uh, my mother's family for a long time has served sauerkraut at Thanksgiving. And I think I wrote about this somewhere, maybe in Bon Appetit or something. It was a long time ago. Mm. 
but someone in my mother's family started, or maybe it was my dad, started cooking when they would rewarm the sauerkraut, you know, mm -hmm. they would cook it with some gin mm. and caraway seeds. Maybe this was my dad. Anyway. These are very classic German flavoring. Yes. Cook it with gin, caraway seeds. I think people also sometimes add juniper seeds. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we ever did that. That sounds very fancy. Yeah. I think sauerkraut needs to be finished with with butter always when you're warming oh, it yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, kind of like how kimchi is really good with butter. Yes. You know? Cabbage and butter, I think. Oh, a I think when you're growing ages. when you're growing cabbage, like I'm, I don't know a lot about horticulture, but I think maybe you should just pour some melted butter on the the shoots. Probably. The roots. Well, it's kind of like the home pride whole wheat bread. That, you know, yes. it's just an integral part it's of exactly making it. That. There's just there's a part in the cabbage making process when you slit the cabbage down the middle and just <gasps> pour some melted butter over it. Yeah, the cabbage making process, you have to spend a lot of time assembling all the leaves <laughs> and like choosing leaves that fit together Did into I say a nice cabbage firm making? head. Yeah. <laughs> no, I knew what you, I knew what you meant. It's a it's a really uh, involved process. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, uh, Thanksgiving uh, at my childhood home involved sauerkraut. Okay, that was cooked in gin, and I would never get anywhere near it. Sure, but it sounds so good. And now, my right? mom loves it with gravy on it. And my mother... That's what my bumper sticker says. My mom <laughs> with gravy on it. Whenever my mom talks about gravy at Thanksgiving, she calls it specifically turkey gravy. Oh, I love that. So yes. when she talks about sauerkraut, she'll be like, oh, sauerkraut cooked in gin with turkey gravy. There you go. Yeah, there's this particular cadence you have to give it when you say turkey, turkey gravy. gravy. Yeah. Um, I also remember, I think my first time ever eating sauerkraut that I remember was when I was living with this host family when I was in college. This was, I think we've talked before about how my host, so I was a vegetarian at the time mm -hmm. and my host family believed that um, vegetarianism meant that I didn't eat things that, um, that walked on four legs. Just two legs. A, a listener comment, <laughs> I think legs. listener Steve commented on this uh, recently and said when we last talked about this, we forgot to say that one of the animals that you is could eat human. is human. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I remember discovering that this was my host family's uh, understanding of vegetarianism when they went down the street to the butcher shop and picked up a rotisserie chicken. And just held up two fingers. <laughs> just two fingers. We got it. We got a vegetarian. <laughs> so that's the international sign. <laughs> anyway, they picked up one of the rotisserie chickens because as we discussed on the rotisserie chicken episode, a lot of butcher shops, at least ones that I saw in France, would often make rotisserie chickens. Yeah. Uh, anyway, my host mother would go down there. She'd get a rotisserie chicken and like the butcher shop would also have sauerkraut that they had been cooking in in chicken fat or like schmaltz from the chicken. Yeah. And I remember my host mother bringing this chicken back and I was sort of horrified because I was a vegetarian, mm -hmm. but I didn't feel like I could say that I didn't want to eat the chicken. Sure. And so I ate the chicken and I ate the sauerkraut that had been cooked in the chicken's fat. That's so good. And it was so Good. Can I can I make a quick correction? I don't know what reminded me of this, and it doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about. But like some number of weeks ago, I said that I liked Japanese egg salad, but what I really meant was I like Japanese potato salad. I still don't like any egg salad. What episode would this have been where we were talking mm -hmm. about Japanese egg salad? Mayonnaise. Okay. Yeah. I remember being perplexed and, and questioning you about it. Yes, and then when I listened it. back, I'm like, oh, I'm sure I'm going to correct this in a minute. No, I just kept saying egg salad when I meant potato salad. So back to sauerkraut. Mm -hmm. So, mm. what are we eating, Matthew? Mm. Mm. I made a I made a nice boar's head hot dog on your basic hot dog bun and put mm. some sauerkraut on it. Oh, 
It was great. I think it's it so could good. have had more sauerkraut yeah, on it, I think you're honestly. Right. Okay. So sauerkraut for me, like, I don't remember when this happened, but it was one of these things. Have you had this experience where there's a thing that either you have tried and don't like or just, like, convinced yourself as a kid that you don't like it, and then at some point you realize, oh, I can tell that the next time I try this, I'm going to like it? I'm sure that there were a lot of things I had this experience with sushi where, like, on a fourth grade class trip, uh, we all had to try sushi. And I'm like, this sounds so gross. And then because, you know, I was in that frame of mind when I tasted it, yes, I did think it was gross. Mm. Um, And then, like, at some point when I was, like, 20, I'm like, oh, like, everyone I know likes sushi. Like, I like all the things that are in sushi. I can tell I'm going to like this next time I try it. And I did. I never th- – I'm, I'm going to keep thinking about And this. sauerkraut was one of those for okay. me where I realized at some point like, oh, this is a thing I think I don't like, but I like cabbage and I like pickled things and I like hot dogs. I'm going to put sauerkraut on my hot dog next time and I bet it will be great. Mm-hmm. You know where I think it happened? I think it was at the Ballard Farmer's Market. Really? Yeah. Oh, the hot dog stand the, there. The Dante's Inferno I dogs. I love that guy. Yes. I was, and I was like, you know, like he's got the pickled jalapenos, which I love on a hot dog. You know, I bet sauerkraut would be good with that. I'm going to try it. Ugh. I think the first time I ever had sauerkraut on a hot dog was, I think, have I talked on the show about this horrible trip to Las Vegas that Brandon and I once took? Man, I can't remember. We were there. Tell for, it again. We were there for three nights. We'd gotten talked into going by our friend Ben, who. Nice uh, one, Ben. I know, who was living uh, in Ohio at the time. And so <laughs> we were always we were always looking for like ways to meet up and see oh, okay. each other. Oh, so right? he, he came too. Okay, I got it. So he was like. I, do, I am he sorry was to like, remember this. He was there was like, a buffet should... involved, right? Uh, no, there was no buffet. Okay. He was like, we should meet up in Vegas. He loves playing blackjack. You stayed at some terrible place, We stayed right? at Circus Circus at the end of the strip but as I have I know explained before one of the um, the R's was out on the sign so it was Circa Sikus okay it was terrible. It was so depressing, but our room was $38 a night. Okay. And we all, all three of us shared one room. So this episode is brought to you by Circus Circus. <laughs> it's terrible, but it's $38 a night. <laughs> anyway, Ben was right. We could, we got, I mean, we got to Vegas really cheaply. Mm-hmm. We were there right after New Year's. And the thing was that Brandon and I weren't that far out from opening Delancey and I we just we didn't have like money to be going on vacation. It was just sure. it was dumb. We shouldn't have been doing it. But Ben talked us into but it. But you it weren't a bunch of money at the blackjack table. Well, right? no, we didn't even want to gamble. We just wanted to see our friend Ben and like do ridiculous things together, like go to Las Vegas. Anyway, okay. we were trying to eat as cheaply as possible, which is very difficult in Las Vegas because everything is like your options are limited, and any restaurant that like you may think you want to go to is really expensive. But if you're a high roller, or as I call them, a whale, then they like ply you with free food, right? Ooh, I, I don't know anything. I don't I've never know been how to, to further impress upon you that this is not where, we're, where we were <laughs> okay. in our lives. So we looked up on some website, like all the like cheap ways to eat in Vegas. Nice. And so we would go to different happy hours and stuff at different restaurants. Of course. So we were eating at like awkward times of day. <laughs> And then we went we went to one casino. Um it's the one that's known for having it's it's pretty janky and it's known for its Elvis impersonator. I know this seems unlikely that there's one that there's, casino in Vegas right, that's, that's known, known for this. For its one Elvis impersonator? Well, but it had an Elvis impersonator show. Okay. Okay. It was like an entire show with a dedicated theater and it was what this casino was known for. Anyway. Make, makes sense. 
they had a hot dog special that was like $4. Have I not told you about this? I, yes. I, this it was is all $4. coming back to me now, but I want to hear it again because it, it's so great. It was $4 for either a 12-ounce or 16-ounce beer and a hot dog with all the fix-ins. It sounds like, it sounds like Costco <laughs> plus beer. Right? So we went to this casino and we got hot dogs and beer and it was $4. And that was the first place I ever had a hot dog with. It had sauerkraut and relish on it. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, I was, I, that was then a, I, I just got onto a spiral a thinking trip. about what if they serve beer at the Costco food court? It would be just a disaster every day, but it would also be kind of great. I think it'd, be, like, I mean, it'd be pretty great. It'd be pretty great, except like, you know... But I feel as it is, there's something about the air. Like, right, there's the a air... tension in the air already well, that I don't think beer would diffuse. Well, there's there's a tension and also like the air is thinner in there or something. Oh, yeah, like yeah. You, you get into Costco and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I've got to buy this pack of three electric toothbrush heads for $75 because my it's dad, 10% cheaper than anywhere else. Possibly my dad's favorite type of dad joke that he never gets tired of is joking about things that you have to buy in bulk at Costco. Like oh, this I, is like I my dad's fax yeah, joke. Right, right, exactly. Like uh, I went to uh, Costco, I got uh, two shrink wrapped pianos. <laughs> oh, that's such a dad joke. <laughs> that is that's we pr- possibly fax, my dad's favorite joke. We should fax that home to your mother. Yeah, we should. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins. Matthew, what would your ideal morning look like if anything were possible? It would involve a lot of crunching of nooks and crannies in a Thomas's English muffin oh. topped with... Oh, yeah, what would you mm, put on it? Chocolate hazelnut spread, oh. sea salt, <gasps> and next to that, another half of a Thomas's English muffin, but with peanut butter. And the peanut butter is going to get nice and melty because I'm going to put it on right out of the toaster. And, and, and I you... mean, I'm putting the English muffin in the toaster, not the peanut butter. What would you have as a beverage? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, you know I'm going green tea. Okay. But since this is like the ultimate morning fantasy, it's going to be, I'm going to drink it out of a chalice. (laughs) I don't know exactly what a chalice is, but I think it's a fancy cup of some kind. Maybe this is too personal, but since we're talking about anything, and anything kind of morning, what would your shower be like? Oh, uh, I mean... I would want to be modeled after Multnomah Falls, which is the uh, waterfall in the Columbia River Gorge that I used to visit with my family as a kid. Sounds like it could hurt you. But it's both powerful and elegant and peaceful and kind of loud, so it drowns out like all the noise of the world. It's just me and my English muffin and my power shower. Oh, wow. (laughs) I wouldn't actually take the English muffin into the shower. That would be counterproductive. Terrific. Wow, that's true. All right, Thomas's Wake Up to What's Possible. This episode is brought to you by Third Love. Third Love makes bras that are designed for women's bodies, not like hypothetical women's bodies, real women's bodies. And the result is a perfect fit and a perfect feel. That is correct. So here's the thing. They've got this 100% fit finder guarantee. So here's how it works. If you're not sure what style is going to be best for you or what size you be, you go, what size you be? What size you be, yes. If you're you're from the Middle Ages and you've never had a bra fitting before because back then they were all chain mail. You are going to love this. Go online. Take their Fit Finder quiz. You get to like look at line drawings of, 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 of breast shapes and things. Decide which one is you. Yep. Pick out your bra, pick out one of their lovely different colors. They've got a lot of really subtle, lovely colors. Oh, yeah. Anyway, 
Then it gets shipped to you. If you don't love it, which you're going to, if you don't love it, well, you know, like just send it back. But meantime, you get to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test for 60 days. There's like nothing to lose here. And Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, and you know they sell it. So right now, they are offering our listeners 15% off your first order. That's 15% off your first order if you go to thirdlove.com slash spilled milk now. That's thirdlove.com slash spilled milk for 15% off. Okay. Uh, What were we saying? Sauerkraut. Right. (laughs) So what is sauerkraut? I will tell you. Sauerkraut is a very simple, finely shredded, lacto-fermented cabbage. Go on. Now ask me what lacto-fermented is. Yeah, means. go on. Lacto-fermented, is this different from the type of fermentation that kimchi goes through? It is not different. That T- is also me, lacto-fermented. Tell me more. So lacto-fermented means uh, it is that the fermentation is done largely but not entirely by organisms that produce lactic acid, bacteria that produce lactic acid. And there are certainly like other bacteria and yeasts involved, but uh, fundamentally the biggest, the dominant flavor of of sauerkraut is that lactic acid fermentation. And that is fermentation that happens at a relatively low temperature. Okay. So you to make sauerkraut, you shred cabbage, you layer it with salt, you store it at 60 degrees or below. How long? I mean, I could keep it in my garage. That's Fahrenheit. You could keep it in your garage. It can... It can go in the refrigerator. It will take longer to, f- to ferment. Like, it needs about two weeks. Okay. But it'll take a little longer in the fridge because the temperature's lower. That's fine. You is don't it, have to refrigerate it, but you can. Is there a particular vessel I need to make it in? You need an artisan clay ceramic vessel made by Bavarian hands. Uh, tell me for real. No, oh. like, I mean, not not something well, does it that's need to reactive. Be a sealed but... vessel? Does it need to be an open vessel that has, like, air circulation? What, um, so it, it what is, am I looking it's for? It's largely an anaerobic process. Okay. So, um, but that doesn't mean it has to be tightly sealed because you get plenty of, of uh, you know, low oxygen anoxic pockets in, in the... Uh... Anoxic pockets. <laughs> yeah, check out these anoxic pockets. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what's not in them? Oxygen. <laughs> Um, oh my god, anoxic pockets. I didn't I don't know if that's a real term. I don't know where anoxic I pulled it from. Anoxic seems wrong. It, it well, must... it's like when your ox dies. Yeah. It's sad, really sad actually. <laughs> you know what um, that pocket doesn't have in it oxygen or oxes. That's right. Or oxen. <laughs> oxes is probably acceptable too. Hold on. Hold on. <clears throat> hold on. So could I take, for instance, a Cambro or a large Absolutely, Tupperware? For sure. And is there some ratio, like weight of cabbage to weight of salt? There probably is. Why didn't you look all this up? Well, because it doesn't matter that much. It does. Okay, what if I want to go home and make Because anybody can Google because we're going to link to it in the show notes. Oh. But you don't have to remember it during the podcast. You can go to spilledmilkpodcast.com and we'll link to a sauerkraut recipe. Okay. Probably from uh, our friend Daniel Gritzer at Serious Eats would be my guess. Great. Okay. Cool. Go um, on. So high temperatures produce yucky sauerkraut. That's a technical term. Like, you know, just <laughs> off flavors. Grody, grody flavors. Probably like rotting sauerkraut. So I went a little deep in the science of sauerkraut, which was pretty fun. I love it when you go deep into the anoxic pocket. Exactly. (laughs) So according to Wikipedia, a 2004 genomic study found an unexpectedly large diversity of lactic acid bacteria in sauerkraut and that previous studies had oversimplified this diversity. 
Damn so you, previous if you, studies. If the last time you read a sauerkraut study was like 2002, you need to get up to date because yeah, you are underselling the diversity of lactobacteria. 2004 is when things really got real. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a lot going on. There's right in this sauerkraut that I'm holding in my hand right now. There's There are billions of bacteria of like dozens of different species. Go on. So I found this article in our favorite magazine, Cell, called The Heroes of CRISPR. And CRISPR is uh, the uh, the gene editing technology that's taken the world by storm. It's C-R-I-S-P-R. Yes. This is a quote from the article. Philippe Horvath could hardly have chosen a thesis topic that was more local or less sexy. As a PhD student at the University of Strasbourg, Strasbourg, oh, he concentrated on the genetics <laughs> of a lactic acid bacteria used in the production of sauerkraut, the central ingredient in the Alsatian special tr- uh, specialty, choucroute garni, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Mm-hmm. And some of the, his, re- his research was instrumental in the development of CRISPR technology. Could you talk a little bit more about CRISPR? I feel like my, I know that I've heard of it, but I think that my education in like genetics and stuff stopped before CRISPR came about. So cr- me too, but CRISPR is just a, a technology for like splicing genes in and out of things more easily and cheaply than was possible previously. Okay. Using, by, by like finding naturally, a naturally occurring sequence and, and then, like zooming in on it and clipping around it and then splicing it into something else uh, well using using the sequence to find where the gene begins and ends and okay so you can easily cut cut a gene out and put it into something else or vice versa okay what was the technology before that so like I, maybe I, when when it was, was this it was invented? kind of a hodgepodge of technologies like you you had to use like different enzymes for uh, you know to target different loci and okay. then you know do complicated tests to make sure that you would cut it correctly this is bringing back really bad memories for for me when i had to do this in the lab I, and i hated it do, so much do you remember when crispr like came on the scene uh no because i was already out of the biology game at that point i remember huh. starting when i started hearing about it like in the mid 2000s okay i wonder because i was i was working in a corn genetics lab in like sure 98 or something and that we was were too early it was too early yeah we were, i was working in a lab in like 2002 and it wasn't a thing yet. They were taking um, like the fi- the gene that makes fireflies glow. Oh right, and they were flamescent. They were they were splicing it and putting it in certain places of the corn genome uh-huh. to sort of like figure out what was activating certain right. genes or, or be, I'm explaining it poorly, but basically to make glowing corn. Basically to make glowing corn. Yeah. All right, more things. More things I learned about sauerkraut. I learned a new word that may be my favorite word. Now. Okay. This is from Wikipedia again. The Dutch sauerkraut industry found that inoculating a new batch of sauerkraut with an old batch resulted in an excessively sour product. This sourdough process is known as backslopping. <laughs> <laughs> or inoculum enrichment. So the reason for this is that the succession of different populations of bacteria and yeast is critical for good sauerkraut flavor. Does this happen at all? Backslopping reminds me. <laughs> it reminds me of a lot of things. <laughs> it reminds me of 
when you're making yogurt, often you will inoculate right. milk with a spoonful of already made yogurt. However, that doesn't have yeast, does it? It's only yogurt. I don't think has yeast, but it's it's a certain combination of bacteria. So for backslopping, it's specific to sourdough because it's bacteria and yeast. Like um, we can't say we're backslopping the yogurt. I th- I think you can say that. Like I'm I mean, not going to start you. saying it within my own house. And I think I mean backslopping it. I feel like it has kind of a negative connotation. I'm now an expert on this word that I just learned, <laughs> but on, I think it on. can be a good or bad backslopping thing. the yogurt. Really bad. And it really I don't does. Know what, what it, it means, sounds like it just sounds so bad. I wonder if someone has actually made an entry for backslopping on Urban Dictionary. We should check this out. <laughs> okay. During the break, okay. I don't know if we'll have a break. So uh, sauerkraut, it's also eaten throughout Eastern Europe, and it's similar to other fermented cabbage dishes around the world, such as kimchi, which we will definitely do an episode on, and uh, curtido, which is the um, Salvadoran pickled cabbage that we talked about on the refried beans episode, Mm -hmm. I think, Mm -hmm. when we talked about pupusas. I don't remember this, but... Um, It's like, it's a kind of spicy, sour, fermented cabbage salad or relish that's served with pupusas, and it's really good. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Okay, so let's talk about what people do with sauerkraut. Yes, so I think I don't know. I, I don't want to. I don't want to wade into one of these like regional food things. But I think maybe the best use of sauerkraut is choucroute garni. I am inclined to agree because there's something about the the tanginess, the sourness, the sort of um, yeah. There, there's something about the flavor and the texture of sauerkraut that goes really well with fatty meats. Yes, actually. So I guess really the two best things to do with sauerkraut are put it on a hot dog yes. or make choucroute garni. Matthew, tell us about choucroute garni. Okay, so choucroute garni is an Alsatian dish, and it is assorted cured and smoked meats served on top of wine-braised sauerkraut, usually flavored with onions and juniper berries and other aromatics. And we're talking about white wine-braised. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Riesling. Oh, that makes yes. – oh, gosh. I, why have I never – wow. I've never I've had that. I've made this once. I've had it in a restaurant once, and I've made it at home once. Does so I all the alcohol would cook off, right? What does the, pretty much what does the Riesling leave behind? Like a, a sort of floral, uh, at least at least a floral, uh, like sweet apple, apple blossom yes. scented ghost. ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- the meats usually include one or more different types of link sausages, usually like an emulsified sausage, not super different from a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Um, braised pork knuckle, don't know exactly what that is, but it sounds good. Mm-hmm. Pork shoulder, back bacon. Uh, sometimes if you get it at like a fancy place, uh, duck confit is included. Um, and the first time I ever had it, so I had read about it in, uh, an article by Jeffrey Steingarten of Vogue magazine from his, that's where I first heard of it from his, from his first book from like 1998 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, the man who ate everything, the man who ate everything. And it was like, it was this article that went really deep on this dish I had never heard of. And I was like, Whoa, like this sounds interesting. Um, and so he goes throughout Als- Alsace, uh, like looking for the best choucroute garni. Um, and so, a couple years after that, um, my wife, life with the show Lori, or what did we, what did we say we were going to call her? Watzel. Watzel. W O T S L. Okay. Uh, Watzel and I, also, also, <laughs> wife of the show Lori, told me not to say that. <laughs> Fine. 
Okay. Uh, the wife of the show, Lori, and I, uh, we uh, were planning our first trip to Paris, and we're like, we need to try this choucroute garni. And uh, my late grandfather, um, who uh, was uh, not not a good person, but uh, did have some good Paris rec- re- restaurant recommendations, mm-hmm. said, okay, you should go to this place, Brasserie Beaufanger. It's spelled like Bowfinger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and uh, they have they have uh, they specialize in choucroute garni, and we went there on Christmas Day for lunch, and it was awesome. There was I remember the choucroute was amazing, and there was an old woman sitting next to us with a little dog on her lap that she was feeding off of her plate. Ah. Oh. I remember um, when I was when I was teaching in a, a French public school the year after I graduated from college. Um, my dad came to visit me, and oh gosh, hold, this is taking a dark turn. In retrospect, sure. I, I realized he was actually already sick with cancer by that point. Anyway, but he wanted to go to this brasserie that was in my neighborhood, and it was. Beaufanger or whatever. Oh, awesome. and, but my dad called it Bowfinger. Of course. <laughs> and um, anyway, we went. And uh, I think I was still sort of being a vegetarian at the time. And I remember I had like canals, like fish canals, like made mm-hmm. like a white fish mousse that's poached. And my dad, I think, had the choucroute garni. Nice. If I'm remembering correctly, I remember going to quote unquote Bowfinger with him. Oh, yeah. that's so that's so great. We I went know, to the same place right? and you got to go with your dad. Oh gosh. Uh, I also read that uh Choucroute Garni is widely available canned and frozen in France, which means they probably have it at that place <laughs> called Picard les Surgelés. <laughs> it gets better every time. Thank you. Uh, well, let's see. What else What else do we do with sauerkraut? Well, these days, I think that there are a whole lot of people who are, like, into it for the, um, like, the health benefits of fermented foods. Yeah. There, when I went to the store, so here's what I found when I went to the store. What I bought was what I always buy, which is whichever brand is available in, like, a two-pound plastic bag. Yeah, that, that, for me, like, is what sauerkraut that's, is. That's like, what we've always Boar's bought, Boar's Head. But, like, the one I got today, like, it was not a brand that I recognized, but it was great. I think that there's something about, like, the standardized flavor of those mm-hmm. um, that, that is what I associate with sauerkraut. Now I know there are all these like local and regional um, like new producers of sauerkraut with like, you know, um, fancy labels and stuff. But there's something about sauerkraut. I like the sort of reliable flavor of the bagged kind. Me too. So there were, there were, there was like Bubby's brand and there was like a local brand. And then there was also something that I found uh, really disturbing, which was it was a kosher brand and the jar was, did not say sauerkraut on it anywhere. It was labeled new kraut. (laughs) (laughs) And all I could think of was like this, when after the apocalypse, like when the apocalypse hits Eastern Europe, like people will sit around eating new kraut, which is some sort of synthetic product and talking about how like in the old days, you know, before the fall, they used to be able to get uh, real sauerkraut. Except that the new kraut is so much better because now they've like pumped it full of vitamins and things like that. So it's like all you need to be, it's a perfectly engineered futuristic food product maybe. But it is also Soylent Green. That's true. <laughs> okay. Um, so, oh, one other thing that I have done with sauerkraut um, is there's this Mark Bittman recipe in the New York Times from years ago, which we'll link to, from years ago before the apocalypse. Um, so you could make it with actual sauerkraut, but now you have to make it with new kraut. Um, and it's roasted and braised duck with sauerkraut. I am 
very impressed. I, I I would never think to make duck at home. I feel like I went through a phase. Uh, was this like in the late nineties? It was or the early two thousands. Yeah. Uh huh. This was the duck era. Well, it was I, also I the pre pre of... having a kid era. Oh, I, I mean, yeah. yeah. My kid loves duck, but this was the era when I was doing things like making my own salt cod. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Oh I'm, wait, I don't think I ever made my own salt. But cod, you made brandad. I, I made brandad, yeah, and too. then I then I made a particular type of pastry that had brandad in it. Of course it. you did. Oh God, I was so so I remember, single. Yeah, I made brandad, and it was good. But I made a lot. I was like, oh, this is so. This brandad is so good, and now I have so much of it left over. I remember going to Whole Foods or something near my first apartment in Seattle. I was in grad school, and I spent like so much money that I did not have on on, on salt cod. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> So yeah, this this uh, roasted and braised duck with sauerkraut recipe. It's super. It's from the minimalist column, so of course it's simple. Um, what kind it's of got, minimalist makes braised duck? But it's got a duck. You can. I mean, you can buy a duck at a supermarket. Um, and duck, sauerkraut, paprika, white wine, bay leaves, and you you roast the duck. You nestle it in the sauerkraut. You braise it. You eat it. You. I picture you as having such a. Like late nineties, Matthew. So mm-hmm. so Lori is. I at, still had a small amount of hair left. Lori Lori was at work all day. You would be writing your column for the Seattle Times or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you would begin braising a duck. Yeah, a little while before your lovely wife was due home, and the two of you would sit down together at the table with no child and with lots of hair on your head. Uh huh. With a with a roasted with and a braised roasted duck. And braised That's duck. what we had instead of a child. Perfect, perfect. It's much more low maintenance. Meanwhile, uh, across town, I was thinking about that salt cod I was going to buy. Yep. Wow. If we could go back and do it all over again, if I could turn back time, uh-huh. I would definitely wear those fishnets that Cher wore yes, on the on the, like the, the deck of that boat. The straps, the oh, beads, yes, and yep. the leather jacket. Yep. <sighs> This episode is brought to you by Thomas's English Muffins. Is it possible to have a Thomas's English Muffin for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Well, yeah. You can start with a cinnamon raisin with butter for breakfast. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You can have a multi-grain for lunch, make it a sandwich or an open-faced sandwich. Ooh, and what about a lamb burger or another burger like on the original mm-hmm. Thomas's English muffin? Yeah, I love a for crispy. Dinner. I love a crispy toasted bun, but a crispy toasted English muffin oh, bun, so and, many and nooks the, and crannies. And the burger juices would mm-hmm. settle in the nooks and crannies. Oh, Thomas's, wake up to what's possible. All right. Well, I think that's it. I know. I know there are lots of uses of sour. Like sauerkraut with with sausages is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 maybe more versatile than we're giving it credit for. But I don't know. This is what I've done with it. Um, I think. Have you ever had a grilled cheese sandwich that has sauerkraut in it? I feel. Oh, like Oh, you know, I we haven't have. talked about Rubens. Oh, Rubens. Oh, that's a great idea. Yes. Great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, now we have talked about Perfect. Rubens. Um, I have made <laughs> a grilled. You know, like braised red cabbage. I do. Uh, I have made um, grilled cheese sandwiches and put braised red cabbage in it, and I think sauerkraut would be great. would be yeah. great. Well, I've got in place of braised almost red two cabbage. pounds of sauerkraut left. Can I take some home? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. In you know what I had back at that it, during the duck era, I had the book <laughs> Duck by James Peterson, oh! and I cooked multiple recipes from it. Not many, but probably like four. Wow. 
know. I think I thought duck was cool. Well, duck is delicious. It's delicious. It's not cool. It's not. It's not cool. But it was briefly. Yeah, like I, no I, one says. You know what that guy's into? Duck. Unless, <laughs> unless that's like a euphemism for, for some street drug. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash spilled milk podcast where tell us what you like to do with sauerkraut. Absolutely. Uh, our website is spilledmilkpodcast.com where we'll link to this uh, roasted and braised duck recipe, a choucroute recipe, a make your own sauerkraut recipe, an article about CRISPR, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at spilled milk podcast. Please leave us a review wherever you get the show. And until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. Hey, Molly, you want to do some duck? (laughs) (laughs) Anoxic pockets? Something about anoxic pockets? (laughs) Uh, I think this is all great. I'm Molly Weisenberg. I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Do people actually call? I mean, I know people call. Like, I know people call you DJ Home Fries. At least in in like um, in, in the world of music, like I often hear things referred to as like Benjamins. Yes, that's a very that's a very <laughs> modern term. People just started saying that recently. The kids. No, but what about? What they about, also say dead presidents. No, but what about hun, Hundo? <laughs> hundo. I feel like Hundo is from the eighties. Really, maybe. I've never heard it before. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.